Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Today's guest is Ed Bannock. Ed is a real Iowa legend, a disciple of Coach Dan Gable. He was a four-time NCAA finalist for the Hawks, a three-time champ, an Olympic gold medalist, and he has some tales about his time under the Gable regime at the University of Iowa. We also cover his upbringing and the fact that he was raised by foster parents with his twin brother Louis and his brother Steve. And it's just a great conversation, one I've been looking forward to for quite some time. I hope you enjoy it. And for past episodes, please visit WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. And if you're listening to this on your phone, please subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating, share this episode on social media. Spread the love, baby. Spread the love. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. Enjoy the show. Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just some kind of a fanatic goal. Ted Bannock, let's talk wrestling. How you doing, man? Good, Ryan, and you? Outstanding. Thank you so much for your time tonight, sir. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's dive right into it, man. Let's let's talk some wrestling. I know, uh, man, you just have so many stories and just such an incredible resume. As I was getting ready for our call here, I was just blown away by the way you dominated, even as a freshman at Iowa. So let's start from the beginning. How did you... uh, you and Lou end up going to Iowa. Like, when was what was your first memory of, of Coach Gable, and how did you? What was the journey out to Iowa? Well, actually, um, I met Gable in the uh, summer of 1976 at the uh, Junior National Tournament held in Iowa City at the time, and uh, I made the New York team in Greco and freestyle, and he came and spoke to us. We we're out working out, and he came and spoke to us, and I introduced myself to him and then he started recruiting me that fall and so I got to know him a little bit in ju- my junior year in high school into my senior year in high school obviously um so that's that's when I met him and you know he was a hero of god you know like wrestling god so it was it was pretty good what did he say to you when you when you guys are working out getting ready for at the time you know the biggest tournament <clears throat> you've probably ever wrestled in as a at the junior nationals yeah, I, I uh, my first year, I, I just completed my sophomore year of high school, and I wrestled freestyle and Greco, and I, I took fourth in Greco, and then I went two and two in freestyle. I got a bad, uh, I got a scratch on my knee, and then it turned into a uh, boil, and I had to have it lanced, and I ended up defaulting because I, I just was in a lot of pain and with the the uh, yeah boil, so. I, I learned a lot by watching the freestyle tournament for the day, two days that I watched it. I participated one day and then I watched it for two. And I just got done wrestling the Greco tournament too, you know, three, four days before that. So I was learning a lot. And then my, my in between my junior year and my senior year, I made the tournament and I talked my brothers into going out too. And Lou and Steve both went out. And Lou took um, third that year I took second and Steve didn't place 
But Steve was being recruited by Wade Chalice, who was the head wrestling coach at Clemson at the time. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Clemson, and then he transferred to Iowa later on. But that year, when I took second, Louis took third, we got a lot of coaches recruiting us as we headed into our senior year. And um, Gable being one of them. Well, yeah, Gable being one of them. But it wasn't Gable so much that was recruiting us. It was more John Marks, who you don't probably know who he is. He was the mm -hmm. first director of ops for Iowa back in the late 70s. And uh, I became friends with John Owen, and Lou did too, until Louie rubbed him the wrong way. <laughs> John Owen was an interesting character. But uh, he, he um, he's the only man that I heard, ever watched him tell Gable no, and Gable listened. Wow. So who was this guy? Yeah. He was like the, the ops guy, like the office guy? Yeah, he was like 6'5", 350 pounds. And he was just, he, he was a, he wasn't a wrestler, but he was just a, a, a he was just a unique individual. We call him John. Wow. Yeah. Did, so, and I'm sure Jay Robinson was heavily involved at that time. Um, so did like Jay, people ever come out to New York or did he just call you guys? Like, what was that recruiting experience like that made you go there? Um, no, Gable came out after, um, the wrestling season. Louie and I both, well, Louie actually, my senior year, I took, Louie wanted his junior year, won the New York State Tournament his junior year, and I took second my junior year, and uh, my brother Steve took third. And in uh, my senior year, I moved up to 167. I won it that year. Louis stayed at 177, and he took third uh, He after winning it his junior year, and then we went out to Junior Nationals. Gable came out and visited us at the end of February, beginning of March, recruiting us. And it was kind of in between. He came out for like a day. It was in between the Big 12s and Nationals. And it was that weekend in between. So okay. we talked. And then after the National Tournament was over with, which was held down in Maryland, um, what was it? College Station? Not College Station. Something. It's in Maryland. Where the University okay. of Maryland's at. Yeah. Um, and what is, what is the name of that place? It was in 79 or 78. In anyway, not um, Bethesda, is it? No, it was the where the University of Maryland is located. I think it's like it's not College Station, but it's something like College Town or something. Anyway, right hold on. College Park. College Park. That's right. And what was interesting is Iowa won 94 and a half to 94 over Iowa State, and in the final match at 190. Frank Santana from Iowa State was wrestling Ron Yeidi from Wisconsin. Frank had beaten Ron Yeidi the, the, the dual meet before and in another match. So, so it was expected for Frank to win. If Frank wins, Iowa State wins. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened was Frank hurt his knee and he had to default. So Iowa wins by half a point. Wow. Is yeah, that their first I mean, one at that point? Is this is when Gable's the head coach, or is he assistant still at this point? No, this is that. I believe in '78 he was. Well, I know he was the head coach. Yeah. '77 I think was his last year. '77 he might have been the head coach too. Yeah, he was '76 when he got hired. So '77 would have been the fall. So the Nationals, like that, would have been Title One. '78 would have been Title Two. Right. Because 87 would have been 10. Yeah, and they, they did not win in 87. So, right, we, we so beat I, them at Iowa State. <laughs> See, I was part did? of that. 
Yeah, I was assistant coach at Iowa State when we beat Iowa. We're going for their tenth in a row. You he were 133. Yeah, I was assistant. Coach. I didn't know that. Oh my oh, god, yeah. we got we got. I'm coming. We're coming back to that. Um, I'd love to get back to you know, given your your extremely humble upbringing. You know, you're you're one of fourteen. Your parents met. Um, you know, during World War II, where what was it? Your mother was a a German, right? And your father, your biological father was a prisoner of war, right? Right. My father was Polish and prisoner of war. Correct. And so maybe just talk us through that experience because that, that in itself is an amazing tale. And then uh, well, you end up having foster parents and that whole, the whole thing's amazing to me. Yeah. I, it, it, um, I wasn't born and I was very young when my older brothers and sisters were talking about it. So I really don't have a, a good handle on it. My brother Louie actually has probably the best handle on it. He talked yeah. to some of our older siblings about it and, and he was the one that guided that in the book. My my mom and dad's name really aren't Zeke and um, whatever you call it because my older brothers and sisters didn't want to use their real name. So I respect it. for that we didn't. But um, I do remember... I mean, I was probably two at the time, and I remembered a couple things before the fire. I remember the fire happening, and, and it just, it was crazy. But it, my mom and my dad did the best they could. They came to the United States uh, in April with, uh, I think they had, it was in the mid-50s. They came in, in April. They had like six kids, and then they left in September with seven. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So I was like, okay, crazy. And then they, they 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 got sponsored by some people, and they moved to uh, just south of Newton, New Jersey, and they were on a farm. And then, you know, it, it was a struggle, but they didn't know any English. They had to you know, learn as they go. And then, eventually, they ended up with 14 kids. And then the barn caught on fire. Then the house caught on fire. And then the state of New Jersey stepped in and parceled the younger ones out to adopted families and that's what happened. And then you and Lou and Steve were all placed in the same foster family or just you and Lou? Well, well at first, Louie and I were, were twins, so they wanted to keep us together. And Louie was not doing well whenever he had to switch. Louie was more of an introvert. Whenever he switched, he, he threw tantrums and stuff, and I kind of calmed him down. So they, they kept me with Louie and, and kind of helped each other out. Steve went to the Thule's first. And then um, the people that we had, Louie and I had been staying with, um, something happened. I don't know what they didn't want us anymore. They just had too many. And, and so the, co the, the social worker called my mom and said, hey, Steve's younger two brothers need a place to stay. This was like in September. Can you uh, watch them from like November, October, November, and then we'll, we'll get them someplace that in December? And so my mom talked to my dad and um, your foster parents, but essentially your yeah, mom my, dad, yeah, you my, my, okay. my yeah. adopted yeah. mom, Stephanie Tooley, and my adopted dad, Alan Tooley, talked it over. And my adopted father, Alan Tooley, said, sure, let's let's try it for a couple months. And so then at the end of Thanksgiving, I remember that Thanksgiving, I had a, I had a turkey leg and I was maybe four or five at the time. And I tried to eat that turkey leg. It took me about three days to finally eat the pig. But I remember <laughs> I had my first turkey leg. And I was running out with Steve and Lou. And so, um, but when the workers came back to take Louie and I, 
my dad oh. said, wait a minute, we got to talk about this. And so my dad kind of being bravado, showing a little bit, he says, well, we just think it's best that the boys stay together. They seem to get along real well, and it's not that much extra. So we, we just feel like this is the best place for the boys. And so that changed the whole picture. And so within another couple of weeks, we got everything signed off. And then my mom and dad um, ad technically adopted us, but we weren't official adopted. My mom didn't want to change our name to their last name, Thule, because she was always worried that if my biological mother ever got healthy enough and got together with my biological father and they wanted the family to reunite, they didn't want to be in the way. And so they just said, we'll be their, their foster parents, but we're not going to go through the official adoption where they take our last name at this time. And so when we were about 12, 13 years old, they asked again and we said, no, we, we, we want to be adopted by you, but we want to keep our last name because at that time we just kept our last name. So that's what we did. How and so happy then, you guys have been to stay with together? Like after that Thanksgiving, to think you guys could have been separated again. It's like so painful to even think about. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, life's not always a bed of roses, you know? And then right. uh, we, you know, we, my dad was electrician, carpenter, and plumber. My mom worked in a factory and, you know, we didn't have a lot, but we were taught the basics, you know, hard work, dedication, truthfulness, you know, and just, we also had a wonderful, and the book talks about this, we also had a wonderful group of teachers and coaches and people that invested in the, the kids of that area. And besides us, we had others go off to college and others go off to do great things too. So, I mean, it's not just, you know, we're, it's not unique to us. There's a lot right. of other records that went on and, and did things, or a lot of other uh, kids that went on and did things. A lot of it was through wrestling, but other things like, uh, David Ferris was a retired colonel now, following my brother. I mean, my brother Steve's retired colonel. Uh, David Ferris was the quarterback of our rest, of our football team. He was also one of the wrestlers on our wrestling team. Um, there's other wrestlers. I mean, just we had a wonderful group of parents, a, a group of teachers, a group of coaches, and parents that that helped each other out. How lucky were you to be adopted by the Tools? Oh yeah, we we realized how blessed we were, and that's one of the reasons why we read, wrote the book because we, it was a uh, out of respect for our parents and our adoptive parents, and you know just because like that old adage, you know, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You know, we did yeah. that. You know, we lived it. The other thing too, though, um, the high school years with all the coaches that we had, all the people that came together and helped us, and then it, it set the foundation for our college years. In the college years. I mean, when you think about wrestling, one of the reasons why I went to, I wanted to be a four-time national champion. I was the first one that openly stated that at the time. And I thought I was close to doing that in high school if things didn't, you know, things kind of went different ways in high school. Thank you. But looking back, I said, well, you know what? I got another four years, wanted to become a four-time uh, national champion. My freshman year, I don't know that I, I beat Dave Allen in the final 16 to five, but I, lost, I, I was losing to Colin Kilrain until I finally beat him 12-11 in the semifinals. From Lehigh, is that the Lehigh guy? Yeah. yeah Colin but the other Kilrain rounds was, you dominated though. Other rounds you dominated though. Besides the semis, it was 12-11. Other than that, you killed everybody, it seemed like. Yeah, and, and Colin Kilrain, he went on and he's a, an admiral now. 
you know, and he was in Navy SEALs, wow. and uh, he was very tough and a great guy. And then in 81, or in 80, um, that was in 79, 80. And then in, in uh, 81, it was in Princeton. Princeton, that was my best nationals ever. I beat everybody up. I mean, I pinned my guy in the finals, and I didn't even have a close match. Right. And then um, and then in uh, 82, when I wrestled Schultz, if you look at that video, I mean, I know it's got a lot of likes on YouTube and stuff. I don't want to talk about it. But if you look at the video, I put him on his back, but the referee went around behind him. He couldn't even see that I had him pinned. And Mark even came up to me afterwards. He goes, I don't know where the referee was, but I was pinned. I was like, well, it doesn't matter because you're not pinned. You weren't called a pin, you know? And he goes, well, you had me pinned. And we we wrestled a bunch of times. I think I wrestled a total of seven times. I beat him the first five. He, he won the last two, and that was one of them. Yeah. That was the yeah. last time. So, he, you know, I and respect then, him. He, as a wrestler, he yeah. was a great wrestler. I mean, he's one of the best, as are you, which is so amazing that the two just happen to collide on the in the national finals. It kind of reminds me of like like an Alger Jackson or, or like a, a Dake Taylor, so to speak. It, sometimes those rare moments just happen. Um, but let's go. I'd love to go back just if you could, because every wrestling fan wants to know what this is like. What's it like when Dan Gable walks in your living room that senior year of high school for you guys? Kind of take us in that. What's the experience like? What's his atmosphere like? Well, my parents, my adoptive parents raised us so that to be humble. So we were, you know, kids being recruited by a college coach. And, right. you know, we, had, we answered all the questions that he had. We were humble. We were you know, my mom was a great host and we just, we talked it all through and we answered all the questions or we got all the questions that we out, we wanted to have out. We got them all answered and, and we we're okay. I think at the time, Steve was still down at Clemson. And I think if, if I told Gable first and I told my parents first that I was going to go to Iowa, then Louis said, yeah, I want to go to Iowa too. But if, if I said no, I'm not going to go to Iowa. I think Louis probably would have went to Clemson with Steve. Yeah, and I don't. I, I would have been wherever I wanted because Lehigh was after me as well. <laughs> There's funny. They, okay, we went. Mark Fowler, our high school wrestling coach, would show us, take us to college meets all the time, and we went down to Lehigh, which is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah, to watch yep. Wisconsin wrestle Lehigh, and. They called it the snake, but it was the old field house, not the, the newer building with the, which they have. So we were there in Wisconsin, uh, had Leroy uh, Kemp at the time. And Kemp had wrestled in one in, in uh, oh, what was the coach's name there? I, I can't think of the coach's name now. At, at Wisconsin. Who? Kemp's coach at Wisconsin? Lee yeah, Kemp's. the coach at Wisconsin. It was Lee Kemp's coach at Wisconsin, and it would have been 79, 78. Um, he was actually, anyway, I can't remember his name. Um, so he, I, I sent a letter to him because I liked what was kind of, I liked their colors. Our colors were red and black and those were red and black and in high school and college. So I was like, okay. And, uh, so I wrote him a letter and he goes, wow, we're all full up. We got a Klein Hans guy, this at 177, 167. So you know, we're going to be good, but if you wanted to walk on, you could. Well, so I went to Iowa, I registered in my first year. Well, the second year, the, 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 my after my year, I'm wrestling Klein Hans from Wisconsin in the finals of Big Ten and pin him. 
Yeah. Yes. There Clevenger, we go. Clevenger. It was Clevenger. It was Clevenger. And, and, I, and I said, hey, you remember when you asked me to, to walk out to Wisconsin? And Clevenger goes, that was you? I said, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and you guys, have a clue. two of the years, you guys absolutely dominated the Big Ten. In 81, you won nine weight classes. In 83, you won nine as well. What was it like to walk into a tournament in those days wearing the Iowa gear? Well, see, the whole thing about it was this. You never really wrestled. Okay. Your focus was not to just win college matches. Your focus was to become the best wrestler you can become. So that meant you had to beat the wrestlers in the practice room. And I'm wrestling Chris Campbell. I'm wrestling Mark Johnson. I'm wrestling um, Gable. I mean, I'm wrestling people that are world and Olympic champions. And if I could take them down, then there's nobody in college that I can't take down, is my thinking. And so when we went out there, it wasn't a situation where we were arrogant. We said we're going to win. It was we paid the price. We've worked really hard. So winning is going to come from that hard work. And it's just it's like one plus one equals two. There's no two ways about it. It's going to happen. So that's what we did. We went out and dominated how brutal were those workouts? I mean, is, and is it oh. true that Gable would wrestle the guy in the red oh, yeah. flag day? All that's true, or is that all folklore? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I wrestled Gable, wrestled Yackley, wrestled Johnson, wrestled Campbell. Oh yeah, Ken said. What was wrestling uh, the old coach like at that time? Could he still go? <laughs> Early on <laughs> in my career, yeah, yeah, he, he could still go. It, let me tell you a story. So this was in '84, and I made the Olympic team, and I was world and the world team at 83 and I'm a three-time national champion runner-up and so some reason I didn't have a partner for workout it was in June it was right we were getting ready to go out to uh it was the end of June we we're getting ready to go out to California and so it was I'll wrestle you and so I'm, I'm 198 pounder I weighed about 210 215 and you know he's 165 pounds and I'm thinking well you know I don't want to hurt you he goes oh you ain't gonna hurt me and so he's got to be in his mid-30s now and I'm 24. So I, I go and take him down, and his knee just, I heard his knee just kind of, pop. I mean, it's like popcorn just cracking. And so I'm thinking, okay. And this was the stupidest thing that I ever thought of, though. But I said, well, why don't you ride me on top, and we'll, I'll just try to stop you from turning me. For the next 45 minutes, I got turned every which way. I mean, I was so limber and raw. I mean, he, my face, my arms, it was just, it was ridiculous. He just beat the living snot on me on top. And nobody turned me like that. Right. <laughs> Ever. Right. You know, I mean, it was, oh. it, you know, he was 30s, you know, and it's like I'm in the prime. So yeah, like, I mean, you're a, you could bring you're it. much, much bigger. You're, yeah, to your point, I mean, you're getting ready to make an Olympic team. And it's just unbelievable to hear these stories. I mean, what were, you think about you were there four years. Because you didn't redshirt, so you're there four years. Yeah. So what so was I, one I, of the? I redshirted. I redshirted my first year. I got there. Oh, you did. Yeah, I redshirted. Okay. Actually, I was I was there in the in the Iowa room for seven years. Because when I got done with college, I wrestled for the Hawkeye Wrestling Club, and then I was the Hawkeye Club coach through um, May first of '85, uh, and then I came over to got Iowa it. State, and then we and then from Iowa State, I coached here for four years. We took third, first. We took fourth, first, third, and third the four years that I coached. 
and that was an Arizona the year State we won one. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was in '88. '87 was in Ames, and uh, or '87 was in uh, College Park, Maryland. '88 was in Ames, and Arizona State won. And in '89, we were down in uh, Oklahoma City. And, Got it. Uh, we took third, and I think who won it that year? Iowa didn't win it that year. Oklahoma State Iowa won that year, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Iowa took sixth or something that year. Here's the other thing too that you got to think about. Okay, so when I first got to Iowa, there was the Hawkeye Wrestling Club coach. There weren't a lot of programs out there that had a Hawkeye Wrestling Club. RTCs. And yeah. Now they're RTCs. So if you look at the history, so I mean, go back in the 50s, 60s, Myron Roderick started that whole thing. And Harold Nichols took it over. And then he had Gable, and then Gable brought that to Iowa City. Yep. And then there was the big brouhaha at the end of the 80s saying, okay, you're going to do it or not, because some of the haves didn't, the have-nots didn't want the have to have it. So they turned around and said, no, they need to have it because we need to have Olympic and world champion, you know, capabilities. And so then they started in the early 90s with the regional training centers. And now they've taken off. And so when you look at it, what Gable did, Gable was really smart. He understood where his strengths lie, and he understood where his weaknesses lie. And he hired coaches that were good in his weak areas. Jay Robinson was very, very detailed-oriented. Chuck Yagel at the time, he was very um, – there was a good mix of coaches there. And <laughs> I love People Jay forget Robinson. Jay Robinson came from Oklahoma State, which is, like, unheard of to think of an Oklahoma State wrestler now coaching at Iowa. Unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, but Jay was Jay was a captain. I mean, Jay was in the military too. So Jay, Jay is an interesting guy. But what Jay's favorite quote to me was, "Hey Eddie, remember, I may have taught you everything you know. I didn't teach you everything I know." <laughs> <laughs> so, so in '91, I think it was Minnesota came down and beat Iowa when Jimmy Zaleski was the head coach. And I saw Jay afterwards. And I said, "Hey Jay, did you go talk to Jimmy?" He goes, no. I said, why not? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're going to tell Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, remember, I mean, I taught you everything you know. I didn't teach you everything I know. And Jay just burst out laughing. He goes, I should have gone over and told him that. Because, I mean, yeah, <laughs> they were rivals, but Jimmy and Jay were friends, too. And Jimmy right. would have laughed his head off over that because it was just, yeah, I mean, that's the way Jay, when, then when Chuck Yagler left, Mark Johnson came in and he brought some things to the table that Gable didn't have too. So, and people don't give Mark a lot of credit. When he went to Illinois, he didn't have the resources that he had at Iowa, but what he was able to do at Illinois was phenomenal. And then he turned it over to Heffernan. It's phenomenal. Given what they have and the, the academic standards that they need to meet to get people in, I mean, it was incredible what he did. So Mark Johnson's from the same hometown area that I'm from, and he's a legend there. And that picture of yeah. him and the 80 Olympics, it's the most jacked dude you'll ever see in your life. And it's a shame they couldn't go to the Olympics that year. But you know the picture I'm yeah. talking about. The guy was a freaking specimen in 80. Could, so did you oh, wrestle I, with him yeah. as well? I worked out with him all the time, yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I went round robin with him and Chris Campbell. Oh, yeah. That was I don't fun. know a lot about Chris Campbell. I mean, I know the guy was Chris a was legend. Chris was a world but... champion in 79. He made the Olympic team in 80. In 80, I'm not, okay, so get this. So I just won my first NCAA tournament in March. I'm wrestling up in Brockport, New York, in the uh, world of all the actual Olympic trials. And so I win the mini tournament by beating Mark Schultz. And so I've got the best two out of three with 
John Peterson, who was the 76 yeah. Olympic champion, who was the 77 world champion, didn't wrestle in 78. He had an injury, but he was trying to get for 79. So I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. And no, it's 80. It's the Olympics. So I, I wrestle. I throw him and pin him, and then he beats me nine to five and ten to five with double legs. Oh. And then back then, when she made the round robin of three, you had to wrestle the other two best two out of three. So then I have to wrestle Chris. And so I wrestled Chris and I beat him, I think it was, um, I want to say like 15 to seven. And then he beats me eight to five. And then like, a, a, I don't know, like seven to one or something. And so here I'm wrestling the 76 Olympic champion who I beat and pinned through and pinned. And then the 78 world champion or 79 world champion, Chris, who I, I, I beat. And he was both, I mean, it's like I'm wrestling world Olympic champions here to try to make the team. <laughs> That's unbelievable, especially considering that John and Ben Peterson were extremely close with Dan Gable in 71, 72. They lived at his house and trained with them yeah. for the 72 yeah. Olympics. Hey, there's two stories, too. Okay, so there's a couple things Please. about the uh, 72 Olympic Games and the 76 Olympic Games. So in the 72 Olympic Games, John Peterson took a silver at 180 and a half. Ben Peterson took a gold at 198. 90 kilograms, 82 kilograms. Mm -hmm. So what happened was John is wrestling, um, oh, what's his name? The Russian, Kelly Ashvelli. Kelly Ashvelli, who smokes a cigarette before he goes out to wrestle John. Okay. So he, beats John. <laughs> he beats John in the 72 game. All right. And then in the 76 games, he goes up to 198 and he beats Ben. <laughs> in the 1976 season in Montreal after smoking a cigarette. Oh, oh yeah, my I mean, God. He, he's on the side smoking a cigarette. He goes, I, it, it calms my nerves. <laughs> so that oh was that my one. God. So then in 72, Chris Campbell or Chris Taylor gets off the plane and the East German wrestler is there and gives a big oh, Hold on, let, let them know who Chris Taylor is real quick for the people who aren't old school folks. How okay, big Chris is this Taylor, guy? Give him the rundown on this guy. Yeah, Chris Taylor is like 6'5". 440 pounds. A kid asked Chris once, he goes, hey, do you lift weight? He goes, every day. He goes, really? He goes, yep, 440 pounds out of bed. <laughs> so, so, so Chris gets off the airplane in, in Munich, Germany, and he uh, gets his hug from this East German wrestler, and they're like, what in the world is that? And, and one of the coaches says the game, he goes, I didn't realize Chris and that German wrestler, East German wrestler, that close. He goes, yeah, I didn't either. Well, that was the East German wrestler who threw Chris with the slate with the souffle. Yeah. So if you see that 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 what he was doing was he wanted to make sure he can get his arms locked around Chris so he could throw. Him. That's what belly to belly souffle, the most iconic picture of all time. Just Google Chris Taylor Olympic wrestling. It's honestly the most unbelievable thing ever because the East German was probably what like a 250, 240 heavyweight. Somewhere well, they said he was two sixty five. He was two sixty five, and he was throwing four hundred forty pounds. Yeah. I mean, I in the most beautiful arch you've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Um, have you seen my picture out there? When I threw the guy? Which one? Edward Lyons? I, I have a throw like that. I'm Googling right now. Easy. Yeah, Bannock throw. Got it. I'm on it. Bannock throw 84. Yep, here it is. Yeah, I see it. Yep, yep. It's almost just like that. Wow. Yeah. What, well, the reason why I wanted to mention that is Randy Lewis and I had a bet. And so he goes, uh, 
he goes, all right. <laughs> I mean, just, so, okay. So, uh, 84 Olympics. I'm going to go 84 Olympics. So if you're, if you're listening to this online, the, the poster is airborne Bannock style. And it's you versus uh, the other country starts as an eight. So maybe Azerbaijan. I'm not. No, that was part of Soviet Union, so it wouldn't have been them. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but it's honestly, just it's a beautiful throw. Um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, oh Mike Chapman who 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 did that, and it was uh, Edwin Lyons from Australia. Oh no, Austria. Australia. A U S. Oh, yeah, Austria. Okay. He was from Austria. Yeah. Austria. So, so Lulu comes wow. up to me and goes, hey, whoever gets the first throw will buy each other, will buy the other one a beer. And so I got the first throw in the Olympics. That's awesome. I mean, that 84 team, I know there was a lot of controversy around Lewis and Leroy Smith. But, I mean, the, the 84 team was damn near, what, four Hawks on that team? You, your brother, Lewis, and then uh, Barry Davis. three or was there four? Barry Davis. Okay. What was Gable like as a coach that made him so good at connecting with people personally? Gable had the unique ability to get to know you so well, he knew exactly what buttons to push and how to get you to succeed. And very few coaches have that. I mean, it's the great ones that have that. And so he... He would do whatever it takes to, like, for example, my senior year, I tear the anti-crucial ligament in my knee at, at Midlands, and the doctors say, well, you're done. We've got to have a knee surgery, and you're done for the year. Gabe goes, no, you're not. What We want a second <laughs> opinion. He goes, well, you can do these muscle relaxing or muscle exercises for the knee, and maybe it'll work. And so four or five times a week I would do these exercises and Gable would train me. And, and what was interesting about that was a couple things. Gable knew how Mike Mann, Mike Mann when I, I lost him the first three times we wrestled, I lost him five to three up in um, the, the, at the time it was called the Northern Open. It was in Madison, Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin. I lost him in the duel in, in Ames here. And it was in the um, first part of January, and it was like 13 to 8. I mean, it was just a, a, a roll around. But Robinson and Gable, Gable did his magic where he got me really mentally tough, really in great shape, and then protecting my knee. And then he had, there was a guy named um, um, Dan Siebert, Dan, what is his last name? Who what? No, not Dan Severson. There was a wrestler at Iowa. He was the head coach at, at a, a high school here. I can't think of his name now. John White had his name. But you're making me recall things from a long time That's ago. That's okay. I appreciate you yeah. sticking with me here. <laughs> so he rode like Mike Mann. So the first three times I wrestled Mike, he rode me. He had riding time. The time I beat him in the finals, four to three, I had six seconds of riding time on him. And it was because of these people working with me. And Gable would get the people in the room that he needed to have in the room. Robinson would help me. He goes, hey, look, it. 
here's where Mike Mann's weakness is. And so I had to do this Russian two-on-one where he'd come around, put his hand on my shoulder, I'd pop underneath it, and I'd hit that high crotch to the to his right leg. And he didn't want people, or his left leg, he didn't want people attacking his left leg. That's why I led with his right leg all the time. But I, I was able to get to his left leg and take him down. Now, yeah. Ed, I wouldn't be doing the wrestling community justice if I didn't ask about this. Give us an example of one of the red flag practice days during the early 80s. Okay, so let me, let me before, I, before I talk about the red flag days, let me preface that with something. There was uh, Tim Riley, our 118-pounder. There was Harlan Kistler. So in the morning, Gable would train me with my bad knee and stuff, and then, and then Riley joined us, and then Kistler joined us. And so we're in the sauna afterwards, and Gable would just have a sit in the sauna, and I would try to sit on that, uh, the upper seat, and those two were sitting near the, the lower seat, and then they would get the bucket of water and pour it over each other to keep cooling. And Gable had a little flit in the side of the water bucket and would fall on the radiator and create steam in there, so you just get a steam room. So after Nationals that year, Riley takes fifth, Kistler takes third, and I win at 43. And so we were at the party afterwards, and we were talking to Gable. All three of us were there. They told him about the story about what they would do in the sauna. And Gable, without batting an eyelash, looked at us and goes, Riley, that's where you were only able to take fifth. Kistler, that's why you were only able to take third. And Eddie, that's why you only beat Mike Mann, four to three. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, without batting an eyelash, boom, he was right there. Now, the red flag days, another real quick story. Louie loved yep. red flag days. Louie, I mean, it was incredible. So one of the wrestlers, Louie went in his own way. A lot of times he'd work on his own for an hour, but he wouldn't stop for an hour. So Harlan Kistler said to Gable one day, why does why, why Louie work out on his own? And Gable looked at Harlan and goes, okay, you can go work out with Louie tomorrow. You do the morning workout with him and the afternoon workout with him. He goes, okay. So the next day in the afternoon, he went and worked out in the morning, and we didn't hear anything. And in the afternoon, he shows up to practice, and it was, I thought you were going to work out with Lou. Louie missed you because Louie was working out at 3, and we started at 4. He goes, he just got done. I just saw him. He goes, no, nah, I worked out with Lou this morning. and that, That's enough. I can work out with you guys now. Because <laughs> Louie never stopped. That's what the red flags were. Louie did that every day. For one hour wow. in the morning, one hour in the afternoon, that's all he did was wrestle and just go. He never stopped. He just would keep the pace. I mean, it was like the pedal to the metal as fast as he can go and with lifting weights. And everything. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, he was he – got, he got pinned by Bumgarner in the finals of Midlands. And what happened was Bumgarner, he couldn't break Bumgarner's grip. And so what Lou did was he got some dumbbells, and he would carry like 85-pound, 90-pound dumbbells for like a minute and a half, just ripping them and wow. walking around with these in each hand. And so then in the uh, finals of Nationals, he cradled Bumgarner up, and Bumgarner couldn't break his grip. And he pinned Oh, my. And so, oh, so my God. What the red flag day was, when you showed up to practice, there was just the red flag all over the place in the locker room, about four or five red flags up. And, oh, crap, the red flag day. And so you just get there. And right away, you got to warm up. And then from that, from Gable always started practices at 4 o'clock. And at 4 o'clock, when you showed up, you never, you didn't stop till 6 o'clock. Actually, for Red Flag Days, he, he moved it back to 90 minutes. You didn't stop. I mean, you were doing all sorts of things. If you weren't wrestling live, you were doing wrestling drills. You were doing, I mean, he had different stations. He had different things. And each of the coaches were there. And you were just doing different things. Throughout it, and it doesn't matter if it was a 26 pounder with the 77 pounder, he was going to do something, you know, just drill something, throw. I mean, it just 
you never stopped. And it was just, and we usually have the red flag days toward the end of the year, the end of the season. And the varsity wrestlers were the ones that the, the non-varsity wrestlers were. It, you, I had two wrestlers. Shark, I remember Shark Tank. Yeah. yeah. You're staying yeah. out there. I, They're I, going on you. I had Steve Kirtlemeyer, who was uh, Gary Kirtlemeyer's son. He's a 42 pounder. <laughs> he was wrestling with me and I'm just totally beat. And he he tries to shoot him, and so I, I he snaps me down, and I pop up, and he hits a double leg on me, takes me down, and then I I, I hit a roll, put him on his back, and it's like I got to take that on you. I said I know, but I just put you on your back. He goes, but I got to take that. <laughs> like okay, I mean it's just it, it's just crazy. I mean you just the thing that Gable was trying to teach us there was, and Mark Mesnick had this quote, and it's a great quote. Goes most men quit when they begin to tire. Good men go until they think they're going to collapse. But the very best know the mind tires before the body. Therefore, they push themselves further and further beyond all limits. Only when these limits are shattered can the unattainable be reached. That's what Gable did. He brought you to the end where you could, you, and some of the wrestlers did break. It was the situation where you're going to go into this wrestling meet and you're going to go at such a high rate and such a high speed that they they got to try to keep up if they can. And 99.9% of the time, they couldn't. We just put the pedal to the metal. If you can hang out with us, you can. That's fine. But if you if, if, if in the attempt to try, like Kilrain, I beat Kilrain in the semifinals because he could not hang with me. I just put the pedal to the metal and I beat him. I mean, that's the bottom line. I beat him 12-11, but it was still, you know, I beat him because I, I knew I was there. I lived in that area. If you do the things that he tells you to do, you're going to become your best, and winning or losing will take care of itself. Here's the other thing, too, with, Rob, with Robinson. And this is why Robinson, when he left to go to Minnesota in 88, 89, why Iowa took a dip, and then Jimmy came in and helped out because Jimmy was a pupil just like I was of Robinson. Robinson taught you the A, the B, and the C of wrestling mechanics, techniques, setup, shot, and finish, basic takedown, basic stance so you have a good offense and a good defense how to get out from underneath, particularly legs, how to ride on top, how to pin. I mean, he he about broke my back kicking a leg one day. I mean, it's like, oh, I, can't, I can't believe how strong he is. But he knew the techniques, and he taught us how to become students of the sport. Robinson did that. I mean, I owe my understanding of technology, technique, what I needed to do, the, the technique that I needed to use, the moves I needed to do to be a champion. I mean, he taught me my high crotch. He taught me my double leg. He taught me how to get out from underneath. He taught me turns on top. I mean, this is J-Rob, right? J-Rob. He yeah. was, he taught you the fundamentals and the bottom, and then Gable built on that. Says, okay, now I'm going to get you mentally tough so you can do that. And, the, and with 15 seconds left in a match, you're down four to three. You're going to be able to take that person down and win five to four. Why? Because I'm going to prepare you to be in that situation so that it'll happen. I mean, and that's the, the mindset. Gable said, we're going to, I'm going to take you there so you can win. And he did. He brought us through red flag days, through incredible training exercises. He brought us to the point where we were prepared for anything. What was the room like when you walked in? What it... Well, I mean, it was in the old field house. It was upstairs. And oh, so it wasn't at the complex where it's at now? No, my senior year is when we went to the complex. This was my, my freshman through sophomore or through junior year was up in the old field house. And uh, it, it was kind of, 
I mean, you had to be careful running into each other too, because it was narrow, but it was long. The thing, <laughs> here's a funny, so Louis was not a good weight cutter. So Louis wrestled, my, it was my, it was my freshman, it was after our redshirt freshman year. I'm Russell 177, Louis Russell 190, and Louis probably weighed 205 and he didn't like cutting weight. And so, and he also wrestles oh, Matt Brown from Lehigh, uh, was it Yidey from Wisconsin, and some other guys. And he's losing like five to three, six to four. You know, he's giving these guys bouts in uh, Lieberman from Lehigh, too. But he hurts his ankle really bad. And we're getting ready for the uh, Midlands Wrestling Tournament. And he's all sour because his legs hurt, and he's he has to cut weight to 190, and he just he's just not having a good time. And so we're drilling, and he just kind of pushes me, and he's kind of being a butthead about it. And like Lou, this is not how you drill. This is how you drill. So I took him down, and like as I was standing up, he sucker punched me in the gut, and it just I lost my air. And I come up and see in red, and he realizes, okay, this is not going to end well. So he takes off running down to the wrestling room, and by the doors there were two bottles of water and some cups and in the trash can. So he kind of pulls the one bottle of water and Mark Johnson was there and he grabs the bottle of water before it falls. And then Louie grabs the garbage can and throws right in front of me and I jump over that. And then I grab another garbage can and Louie jumps over the railing as you head up. We're on the top of the uh, field house. There's like four stories or three stories. There's like a three or four story high stairway that winds up and down. So I throw the bucket over the, the railing at him and it's just bounces and cups, paper cups and plastic cups are just going all over the place. And I jump over the railing and I'm chasing them and I'm kicking the bucket as we're going down the stairs and get to the bottom of the stairs. Who should be there? Bump Elliott, the AD. Louis runs down and he he goes to the locker room and I just see Bump and I said, yeah, Louis knocked his stupid trash can over and I got to pick it up now. And so I picked it up and brought it upstairs and Bump was up there talking to Gable and they're just snickering. But then Louis just he leaves it's like what and then he goes through his period and then he ends up coming back in the fall and uh, he's going to go down to texas to see his old girlfriend who he had in, in port Jervis, new york her dad got a new job down in texas debt in texas and lou was going to go drive down there there's a whole story there but anyway he finally comes back and uh, he goes heavyweight. He's about 235. He works construction in the spring and in the summer. Comes back, pays his own way. Dean Finney, who took fifth or third at Nationals that year, I think he took third that year at Nationals in Oregon. Louis Russell's in practice, just beats the living snot out of him in practice. So Gabe was like, oh, maybe you can go heavyweight. <laughs> so, but he wow. learned a little. Yeah. yeah. So that's the it story was, of when he quit for like a, a, a semester, right? Yeah, that's how it all started. That's how it all started. Holy shit! I know we're we're at almost the top of the hour here. I have to hit have to hit a few more qu- quick questions. These can be quick too. Uh, Ed, true or false? Gable vocalized that he wanted ten individual national champs at all the weights. That was the goal, but I mean, he knew that was going to be hard to do. But that was the goal. Had ten national champions. He wanted to coach each wrestler to become their best, and in the process, the results will be ten national champions. He felt that with every varsity wrestler, that he could get them to be a national champion. 
Well, the, the last thing I have for you, Ed, and this is something I didn't even realize until this conversation is that you were at Iowa State in 87. So talk to us about that. I mean, you know, you just from the, this is all from outside knowledge. You read that, you know, throughout the 80s, things started to slip a little bit. And while Iowa was still winning, they won big in 86. Things were getting out of hand, right? There was the drinking incidents. There was the out of there was the fighting incidents. And maybe things were slipping a little bit. And then here you guys come new head coach, Jim Gibbons, you guys win in 87, Kelly pins Penrith in the finals, and it ends Iowa's run of 10 in a row. So, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? A couple things. Um, first off, Robinson, there was a period in there when Gable was the head coach and he was going to coach the Olympic team, and then, you know, that was in the, the 88, I think it was 88 or 87, I can't remember what it was. but. I knew what Iowa could do, and I knew what Iowa State could do. So I felt really good as long as our guys kept working and becoming better and better and better. And Penrith, Penrith, I mean, Kelly, Bill Kelly loved to do this flail. And Penrith walked right into it. I mean, it would, you couldn't have asked for a better setup. And then when Kelly pinned them, it, it sparked the other wrestlers. And then Tim Krieger beat Heffernan. I mean, and Tim had lost to Heffernan before. And Tim beat Heffernan. Then it was just, it kept getting better and better. And then Volker at one night winning it. It's like, okay. Now, it was bittersweet for me because I wrestled with these other guys from Iowa. I know what they're going through. But I was invested in the Iowa State wrestlers. And the bottom line was my loyalty was with them because I trained them. I worked with them and they worked with me. And, and, you know, it's, it's, these are the guys that I trained. These are the guys that I worked with. These are the guys that I coached. And so I was loyal to them and it was fun. It was fun to see their joy, their happiness. Cause we had four national champions. Kevin Jackson got cheated out. I mean, there was a wrestler, a wrestling coach, or a rest, a referee. What's it? Pretty Ambrose, pretty Ambrose. He, I'm glad he's no longer an official. Because um, all Alger did was underhook and push. Didn't have one shot at all. Now, Kevin Jackson, as he got older, learned how to beat Royce, and he beat him in the uh, World Olympic Trials a couple times. But at the time, he, he didn't know. So I think we had four champions, runner-up in Kevin Jackson, and third-place finisher in Jeff Gibbons. We had Bill Kelly. Wow. We had Stuart Carter at 158. We had, um, who else did we have? We had Eric Volker and we had Krieger. Krieger won it. What was it like so, going into Carver when you were coaching against Iowa and Iowa has the, has the X on the single to signify 10 national titles? Well, what's interesting about that, two things. One, I mean, you know, we, <laughs> uh, Brooks Simpson pinned Volker and <laughs> that match we lost. But also, Bump Elliott, one time as, a, as we were going underneath the tunnel, the Iowa State team was leaving. This fan was booing and cussing and swearing at me and stuff. And Bump went after the fan. And it's like, thanks, Bump. I appreciate that. And he goes, no, we got to show respect. We're Hawkeye fans, but we, we got to show respect. And, you know, I, Bump was a class act. And I just really appreciate that. But, yeah, you, you know, you got to take that. You're the visiting coach. Yeah. You do with me being, you know, my alma mater and stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to get some – some lip, you know, but that was 
you know, that's just what to, you know, to be expected. Here's here's the funny. So my freshman, year, I got to tell you the story. So yeah. my freshman year at Iowa, I redshirted. So the next year, now I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I'm thinking, you know, Iowa doesn't lose to Iowa State. Well, if I looked at the Prescott, I would have realized, you know what? Iowa lost to Iowa State plenty of times. <laughs> the Prescott even shows that. So we're wrestling in Ames in 1980, in and it would have been. January or February, I can't remember which. So Mike Deanna getting beat by Dave Powell at 167. I'm roughly 177. I've got uh, Mike Allen, or no, Dave Allen. Louis got to have uh, Porsche at 190, and then Mike Mann went up to wrestle Dean Finney at heavyweight. And so I go out there after Deanna loses, we're down like 17 to seven. And so right before I go out there, Lubu comes up to me, Randy Lewis, I call him Lubu. He comes up to me, he goes, what are you going to do, Eddie? Well, I'm going to have to pin Allen. Louie's going to have to beat Porsche and Finney's going to have to beat Man. We're going to win this thing. He goes, all right. And he gives me a high five and goes over and sits next to Gable. And he, goes, and he sits next to Gable. He says, Gable. He goes, Dan, get off to Eddie. He's going to pin Allen. Louie's going to win. Finney's going to win. We got this thing in the bag. Gable's just shaking his head. And Iowa Public Television was filming all this. You can see Gable and Lewis sitting there, and Lewis tells Gable what I said, and Gable just shaking his head. So I go out there, and Alan hits this nice high crotch. Well, I sprawl and, and turn. Next thing I know, I got Alan on his back, and I'm pinning him. In 44 seconds, I pinned him. And Gable's looking at Lewis, and Lewis is like shaking his head on Iowa Public Television. So Louis goes out there to get beat by Forshee. John Porsche, and then Louis just finally stands up. Back then, the, it was two, three, three, so there were eight minute matches, and Louis had a pretty good gas tank on him. So Louis just stands up, reaches back, and bear hugs Porsche, puts him on his back, and pins him. So we go from a 17 7 deficit to a 19 17 lead now, and then Finney goes out and beats man like 13 to 5 or something, <laughs> and then we beat him. Oh so, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. That's just how. The confidence you guys all had, though. I mean, and I'm talking to Randy next week, so uh, and Barry Davis next week, back to back. So these guys are all part of it. Can you uh, yeah. can you confirm or deny the story that Barry Davis once broke during a weight cut for the Big Tens and went to the, the local grocery store, and Gable came in and found him with a bag of donuts? <laughs> okay, my locker was right next door to Barry's, so it was my locker, it was Barry's locker, my locker, and then Dave Fitzgerald's locker on the other side of my locker. So I show up for, it was big tw- big times. We had to w- work out before we drove up to Cedar Rapids to fly over to Detroit and into Ann Arbor. So I get this note in my locker and it says, Dear Gads, tried real hard, couldn't make weight, go on and win big times and nationals without me. B-A-D for Barry Anthony Davis, bad. And so I look at this letter and I look at Fitz and I said, Fitz, what do you read? in this letter and he looks at me and goes, Oh, Barry flew the coop. <laughs> I said, Well you better give that to Gable. And he hands it back to you goes, It was in your locker. You gotta give it to Gable. So I go over to Gable and said, Dan, this was in my locker and I think Barry flew the coop. And so he looks at it. Wilbur was right there, Steve Wilbur the back of the pitway. He goes, Well, Steve, you we're gonna go. And so they take off to find Barry. Well Barry was in the uh high V, the northeast part of town in Iowa City. 
and his, he had a girlfriend up there. But he stopped by Ivy first to get some donuts. And so he gets, he pays for his donuts. He sees Gable coming in one door. So he turns and goes the other way. And as he turns, goes the other way, Steve Wilbur is coming in the other one. And Barry drops the bag of donuts. He goes, I haven't had any yet. <laughs> we, had, we had gone to uh, Cedar Rapids already. And then Gable and, and Wilbur took him over and they worked him out a little bit. And then they cut the next flight. And then uh, he um, had to, had, there was a layover in Chicago and he got some more workouts. And he literally showed up with about five minutes left to weigh in. And he weighed in, made weight, won Big Tens. We won Nationals that year. Well, Ed, really appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. I'm going to try, I'm trying to get Louis and Steve to get a hold of you. I gave him your contact information and so on, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to get them to get, give you a call too, okay? That would be great. Thank you very much, Ed. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.